either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our films. <laughs> it's so bad. All right. Well, we've talked about the best films from last year. Now we're going to start working on a brand new year, see if anything from this week qualifies. Maybe could slide into the best of 2022. You never know. We'll find out as we... Check out a brand new batch of flicks. Thank you for checking in with us. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. We'll start off with a top secret weapon falling into mercenary hands. A wild card CIA agent joining forces with three international agents on a lethal mission to retrieve it while staying a step ahead of a mysterious woman who's tracking their every move. This is the 355. About George Washington's first female spy during the revolution. They called her Agent 355 because they didn't want the world to know her real name. But her legacy lives on. We're the top agents from around the world. But now we have a common enemy. They can start World War III from simple reach of their keyboard. So we need to join forces. like the new team. We're the 355. You know, whether or not this movie is any good, I'm not going to say at the moment, but I've been excited since the beginning just because of this cast. This is a crazy, crazy great cast. Yeah, and originally it was supposed to have uh, Marion Cotillard was supposed to be one of these, and then she dropped out. From what I could find, it said personal reasons. Usually they just say scheduling. Yeah. But it seems, because you can find pictures of her with the cast, it almost seems like they started filming and uh, something wasn't sitting right. So I think she was replaced by Diane Kruger. But, yeah, you've got um, not only Jessica Chastain, who also apparently, from what I've read, this was her idea. Apparently she hatched this idea about a all-female cast of spies, sort of a James Bond, Jason Bourne sort of thing, to director uh, Simon Kinberg when they were working on Dark Phoenix a few years ago. So... Uh, he is he is back as the director and the co-writer, so this is the fruition of that idea. So it's Jessica Chastain and, yeah, Diane Kruger and Lupita Nyong'o and Penelope Cruz and Bing Bing Fan. I love Bing Bing Fan. Where's she been? That's a great name, by the way. That's almost a like name. a Bond name, yeah. but that's her real name. Right. Uh, yeah. But also Sebastian Stan oh, and yeah. Yeah. Edgar Ramirez, who right. are also both really right. yeah. good. So I got you. Yeah, star-studded cast, I agree. You've got these these international agents. They're all apparently the best the best agents from their respective countries, and they get together to try to get back this piece of cyber. It's, it's like a, a cyber weapon that if it falls into the wrong hands, it could be used to as a, as a master key. It can instantly grant you access to any closed computer system in the world. And I swear to you, that was the premise of a movie I reviewed in the last year. I know it, and I, I couldn't find it. Uh, so somebody, if, if you know, let me know, because I know I did. And it's understandable that right now, cyber weapons, that's a big thing you're going to fall into. Back you know, back in the day with Bond and, and those type of spy movies, it was always the Cold War. Well, now we've moved on past that. So I get it that cyber weapons are a thing. But man, this exact thing, like a master key, I know I reviewed that. But anyway, that's just one of the things that seems familiar about this movie. As, as it goes along, it takes a lot of time for the setup. I think it's a full... 45 minutes before you get this team together. There's a lot of exposition to open, a lot of chases uh, before you finally settle down to this team together. And it, it does seem familiar, not that it's executed badly, 
it's just seems to hit all the buttons. And even after a, a few movies now where we've seen all female makeovers of popular genres, that doesn't seem that revolutionary either. Not that it's a bad idea, but it, it's just another part of this movie that seems very familiar. It's also just too damn long. It is. It's, you know, it's a little over two hours. Just stop it. Just stop it with a little over two hours, everybody. Yeah, because the more familiar it feels, that then the, the more that breeds discontent. Yeah. Um, and, and again, the, the action is fine, it, but it doesn't do anything to really give itself an identity. And on top of that, a lot of the action is telegraphed when it stops for, and you know what's going to happen next. And some of the twists are telegraphed as well. The performances, you, you brought this up about Jessica Chastain. She's a great actor. She is amazing. But she likes she this, this role. This role. She does. She plays this role too often. Uh, and, you know, and when she steps away from this particular type of character and just, you know, stretches a little bit like a Tammy Faye, then you're reminded, my God, she's good. She's so good. I, I do. I just kind of wish she would she would stop making this film. It is probably fun. I can I can yeah. I can I uh, imagine it's fun to go be a badass and, and, and kick some butt. Um but yeah, that seems familiar as well. And these are all great actors. Now, oh my God, Lu- you know how many Oscars there are? Oh. Lupita Nyong'o yeah. has an Oscar. Penelope Cruz has an Oscar. Jessica Chastain has been nominated like four times. Now, Penelope Cruz is the one that sort of stands out because her character is not really in on, in this willingly. She she is a psychologist for uh, her agency, and she's not really trained in combat. So she gets roped into this, and then her character gets to have a little bit of uh, fish out of water fun which I think that makes her character stand out a little bit. But, yeah, you're going to see some Bond stuff, and that includes the suspend disbelief uh, spy game and also the the glammed-up sexiness of that as well. You've got the the brooding outcast of uh, a born in there as well, and you've got some Danny Ocean sleight of hand all yeah, thrown in there. Yeah, so, you can see that in the trailer. Yeah, definitely. Sure. So you've got a little bit of everything uh, that, that, again, helps it to feel pretty familiar. Now, I will say toward the end, about the last half hour, it ramps it up a little bit. There's one very effective, very tense and violent set piece that I think Kinberg um, executes very well. But once it gets to the end, you're pretty clear that it wants to kick off a franchise. It does. I don't think it really earns that. I don't think there's going to be a lot of interest here for that franchise. But it's not bad. It's certainly not yeah. bad. It's just a typical for for the, for the first week of January releases. It's probably better than most, to be honest with you, because most of the time, if it's not a holdover from the previous year, when you see a movie opening the first week of January, you think, oh, my, that's just they're they're just getting it out of the way. Uh, And it's certainly not that bad, but it's not it's it's not great either. It's just kind of a rehash of a lot of different elements that you've seen before. And most of the time they've been done better. And that is the three five five. And it is available in theaters right now. Next is the latest from one of our favorite filmmakers, Asghar Farhadi. This is the story of Rahim, who is in prison because of a debt he was unable to repay. During a two-day leave, he tries to convince his creditor to withdraw his complaint against the payment of part of the sum. But things do not go as planned. This is a hero. Boy, everything he does. A separation. The past. The the salesman. salesman. Just, just fantastic. He has this incredible way of crafting these intimate, layered dramas, all set and about his homeland of Iran. But boy, they they speak to universal themes. And they're always complex and morally ambiguous. 
he just keeps cranking them out. It seems like, well, one of these days he's going to have a clunker, but not so far. This is almost sure to be nominated for Best International Feature at the Oscars. I would be shocked if it wasn't because it's very, very good. As uh, this main character, as the synopsis says, Raheem tries to, he has a two-day leave from prison, and he, he tries to get the man that he owes to accept a lesser sum. And while he's out on this two-day leave, he finds a handbag full of gold coins. And instead of using that loot to pay his debt, he goes to some effort to track down the owner and return it. So because of that, he is celebrated as a hero and has the promise of not only an early release, but a new job and a new lease on life and everything looks good until doubt starts being sown about his story and about him in particular. And it starts digging into some really interesting questions with all these different crisscrosses of events and characters. And it it wants to ask is not doing a bad deed as noble as doing a good one. And if you're searching for the truth about someone, is that even possible anymore in the social media age? Because that comes into play in a big way uh, in this uh, in this film. If you're not familiar with the term milkshake duck, that's when someone is built up only to be brought down and, and ter- torn apart by their past deeds, on mainly on social media. And that definitely comes into play here. And it's just fascinating as you see different people who are tangentially involved in his story try to become involved. And are they, are they, how comfortable are they maybe possibly aiding a deception if it benefits their situation? It's just another fascinating study because that is what he does. I think that for all of the sort of global issues that he tends to tackle, what, what makes his films and this one as well so powerful is how intimate they all are, how much they become character studies, mm-hmm. and how incredible his casts always are. Yeah, and the good guys and bad guys are never clearly drawn. No. You can really just... you can Because they aren't in real life either. Right, exactly. And that's what this main character, uh, Rahim, who's, who's played by Amir Jadidi, fantastic uh, performance in the lead, and it's a really great ensemble as well. Yeah, you can sympathize with him at one point, and then you start going, oh, did he really do that? And then maybe he's not... So heroic. And, and, and there's everybody's got those shades to them because you're right. That is how people are. They're human beings. And it just is a morally complex situation that makes you think about it in a lot of different ways. Not only the characters, but of course, you start thinking about what you would do right. in that situation. And it's just fascinating. He's so good at these types of stories. And it's in theaters right now. And I, I, again, it's a, a sure bet to be nominated for Best International Feature this year. And it's called A Hero. Next up is a mystery thriller. When blind former skier Sophie cat sits in a secluded mansion, three thieves invade for the hidden safe. Sophie's only defense is Army veteran Kelly on the See For Me app. Kelly helps Sophie defend herself against the invaders to survive. This is called See For Me. We need to get you to the basement and wait for the cops. Is there anything in my way? Wait, Sophie, wait! She dialed 911 12 minutes ago. He said the place was going to be empty. I can get rid of the cops. And why would you do that? I'm just going to suspect the little blind girl, right? Could you open the door, please? They're going to kill you. No one's going anywhere. I swear we can do this. You just need to trust me. 
Well, here's a premise that is not exactly new, but the twist they put on it is new, and it's pretty fun. It is really fun. And yeah, I think the first time I saw this, uh, I think the first time any of us saw this was back in the day when Audrey Hepburn played a, a blind woman. And in, Alan Arkin. Yeah. Oh, man. In uh, uh, Wait Until Dark. Yeah, Wait Until Dark. And then, you know, they did something very similar a couple of years ago with Hush. And then, of course, Don't Breathe kind of turned the whole idea on its ear. But one of the things that this film does is calls into question how noble, let alone how vulnerable, Sophie is. So you start off with she's she used to be uh, an athlete. She was uh, an Olympic great skier mm-hmm. uh, before she lost her sight. And also one of the things I like about this character is she's very angry. She doesn't want your pity. She's very angry. <laughs> she, she likes to take care of herself. But it, it's not just, you know, she, she's mean, which I appreciate because I felt more like, no, she's going to make it out of this. Okay. Because she's mean. Yeah. She doesn't always do the right thing, which I also like because it brings in, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to tell too much about it because it really is the, the plot twists are very interesting in this. I don't want to give anything away, but you buy that she's a damaged and not a completely wholesome individual. And I really appreciate that because very often, I think especially, this is a thriller more than a horror film, but in, in films, I feel like whenever you have a character who, who has any kind of a disability, that character tends to be made out to be like very noble and one-dimensionally pure. And yeah. I love that this character is layered and damaged and a little, there's a little moral ambiguity going yeah. on there. I really appreciate that. Well, again, that. that's like, like we were saying before, that's like human beings. Exactly. Um, but now, for, forgive my ignorance, is this a real app? This type of app, does this exist? I because, don't know. Well, because one of the things I like about this is movies today, for obvious reasons, are always finding a way to work technology sure. in. So even if this isn't a real app, it seems like it could be. Exactly. And it seems like a very organic and natural way to craft this twist on an old premise. Yeah, I love it. I love it for a lot of reasons. The, they use the app, the, the person on the other end of the app, uh, in a lot of ways to complicate the the very straightforward story of this break-in, which is great. I like the way they use it. Also, I like the way they use essentially this see for me, this woman on the other end of the phone. She's Who's, holding up the, the uh, Sophie is holding up her cell phone and sort of tr- spinning it about so yeah. that this woman ha- it can and be her telling eyes. her what is what it she, gives yeah. you a little bit of like a first person shooter kind of a perspective yeah. in it, which normally I hate in a movie, but it works quite well in this one. Yeah, and as Brandon Thomas pointed out, because Brandon Thomas wrote the written review for us at MadWolf.com, as he rightly pointed out. Uh, the director, Randall Okita, he very wisely makes sure that you can see things as far as what's going on in the app that, of course, Sophie cannot. Yeah. So that draws you into yeah, the tension does. because yeah, you know something that she doesn't. And that's a very wise move. But um, again, yeah, as, as she has to use the phone as the eyes of the woman on the other end mm-hmm, of the app mm-hmm. and then to try to talk her out of it. Yeah, it's clever. It is. It really is. It's clever. It's tense. It's fun. And again, I think for me, uh, it does. It looks great, too. But for me, uh, my favorite part about it is is that the protagonist is somebody that you you kind of don't really like. And I, <laughs> yeah. I just appreciate that about any kind of a film. And uh, Skylar Davenport is the lead. And also Kim Coates, who oh, long yeah. time, long time character actor, of course, uh, got the uh, some prominence here in the last few years with Sons of Anarchy, but he's done so many roles. You'll recognize Kim Coates in this as well. I want to point out, too, that, that Skylar Davenport is, in fact, visually impaired. Yeah. So it's, you know, so again, throw some authenticity into the performance as well. Yeah, and that was in, uh, that one is available in theaters right now as well. And it's a fun one, fun thriller called See For Me. 
Next is another international film about a celebrity journalist juggling her busy career and personal life, having her life overturned by a freak car accident. This is France. Cette célébrité si démente. C'est ça la télé. Crois-moi, c'est comme ça que ça marche. Le pire, c'est le mieux. You got to make sure you pronounce each France or France right because it's the character's name is France, but she is in France and the movie is called France. So I guess it could or it could be France. It could uh, really refer to either one, but I think that's one of the um, in- intentional and certainly not subtle moves that writer director Bruno Dumont is making here as he comments on the blurring of the lines in his home country mainly, but it's going to be very relatable to uh, a lot of people, especially in America, the blurring of the lines between news and entertainment. And one of the best things he's got going for him in this movie is the lead, Leah Sadu. Who is having a great year because she's in James Bond, a very big part of the James Bond film. She's great in it. She's also very good in a a smaller role in uh, The French Dispatch. Yeah, and she's just great. And she plays this Celebrity journalist, very famous in France, and the host of this very popular news show called A View of the World, and her name is France. And she is not really interested much in politics or the integrity of her profession or what side she falls on. She's just in it for uh, the fame and the money, and this is just her job. And early on, it's very interesting, early on, there's a nice bit of editing where Dumont puts her in an actual news conference with the actual French president, Emmanuel Macron. And so it looks pretty real. And she's asking him some very pointed questions. And it sets up a sort of a goofy vibe of over-the-top, overt satire. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. all right, I'm on board with that. And then, at least for me, unless the, the, the tone gets lost in translation, that really went away. And it settled into more of an of an overwrought narrative where, again, you've got a movie that's over two hours long, about 2.15, 2.10, and it just keeps making the same points over and over. I mean, France goes on and very blatantly stages things about her pre-recorded reports, and they make this point just over and over. So they take maybe 30 minutes to make the point that broadcast news made in five right. back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, these are valid points, true, but we get it already. <laughs> um, but uh, it's got such a, a great uh, performance, another a great one from Leah Sadu. To keep it going, and Dumont makes sure that his camera loves her, Sadu, which is not hard, <laughs> uh, as much as the TV camera loves her character. And that really works and helps to, for the everything to seem organic because once she does become involved in this car accident, it's the wake-up call that she needs, and then she starts looking around and thinking, is, is she the person she wants to be? Is, is her work the kind of work that she wants it to be, to have an impact? And so everything is just a little too heavy-handed for my taking. Now, if they would have kept that sort of almost goofy satire that they have in the opening five minutes, I think that could have benefited, at least from my perspective. Again, it's a French film and clearly aimed at French audiences, so there could be something lost in translation here. I'm not sure, but uh, it's just just, they don't hold the tone, I think, that would have made the film uh, a more complete satire. But still, well-intentioned, certainly good points, they just really hammer them home a little too much. But uh, always great to see Leah Sadu. And it's a it's really a great-looking film. Slick, as you think it, it should be for the type of message that it wants to get out. Everything style over substance. But uh, the substance at the middle of this one is just a little too, uh, a little too overdone. And that is France in theaters now.
Next up is the latest from the Bruce Willis-Edward Drake assembly line. It's an ex-NYPD officer-turned-sheriff of a small Georgia town contending with a gang of thieves who have taken a wealthy doctor hostage. This is American Siege. So here's what's what. Solve the disappearance of Bridget Baker. Or... Or I start sending out John Keats piece by piece till you got them all. Dr. Keats means a great deal to this town. Kyle's inside now. What? You sent my only son in there to deal with them. We don't have time for games. Get in there. Give my son. Kill the rest. A bloodbath won't do anything. You hurt my boy, and I'll rain holy violence down upon you. We're doing the Lord's work here. So, already in the past, what do you say, three, two or maybe two years, Edward Drake, writer, director, writer and or director Edward Drake and Bruce Willis have made four films and they have two more in post-production. So they keep cranking them out and they get points for efficiency, but uh, demerits for quality control because this is just another, what are you doing? Speaking of of retreads here, you've got uh, Bruce Willis, who's, who's, as the synopsis said, he's an ex New York cop and he's settled into this cushy job, kind of lazy, doing the uh, day-to-day small-town Georgia sheriff and canoodling with his deputy, played by Janet Jones, by the way. Yeah, Janet Jones, nearly 10 years she hasn't done anything. Mm. Really doesn't do a whole lot here either. But uh, And then the local doctor is taken hostage by this small group of thieves, and they have a strange request. They want the sheriff to open up a case about a missing person from the area from years before. So that's their demand. But it turns out the doctor has a vault in his house holding something, some secrets. And we know this because of him exclaiming, there are some things that you can't unsee. <laughs> and then later he says that he's already said too much, but that's not true because he, go on, he goes on to spill the entire evil plan of the guy that really runs the town. Not the sheriff, but it's one of these Ben Gazzara roadhouse guys. <laughs> You know, who just, oh, yeah. he, he just yeah. runs the town. Of course, there are all kinds of yeah. small towns across the country that yeah. are just run by some dude. And he can summon a group of black ops uh, goons at a moment's notice to take uh, this situation in hand. So it's just ridiculous. And it goes on about this doctor, once he starts spilling the beans about the uh, the whole evil plan that's in motion, that it's it's the really the blame lies at the feet of the coastal elites. The coastal elites. Yeah, yeah. so the, the worldview is very pandering and simplistic. And even the action, when it finally gets to it, the shoot 'em up is not so much a thing. But I will say, the latest sleepwalking from Bruce Willis, compared to the rest of this cast, he might as well be Daniel Day-Lewis because <laughs> it's, it's rough. Uh, the writing doesn't do him any favors, but it is rough. And uh, this is on VOD. And if you know what? If you don't want to do this one, for uh, Bruce Willis and Edward Drake, just sit tight because there are two more coming oh, soon. Oh, my God. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, no. For American Siege. Let's move on. And we've saved the craziest for last. How about this comedy horror mystery? Two roommates' lives are upended after finding out that their new Manhattan apartment harbors a dark secret. This is the scary of 61st. We found this car Where? Our house. Move out. You don't understand. You're in grave danger. Don't you get it? This place is cursed. It's not so bad once you get used to it. Oh my god. Is she following us? I think maybe we're starting to get too close to the truth.
important thing is that we're awake. We got the chance to see this for the first time back at Nightmares Film Festival, and it is just as insane on second viewing. <laughs> I love this. Anytime that even halfway through you're going, what? What am I watching? Right. A lot of times that's a good sign. And I it think is so. here. <laughs> it is a movie that is going to be polarizing. And it is a movie. I mean, if you don't at some point go, what the hell? Then you might be the only one. Normally, I, I like to pick out a, a line where how, how far into this movie do you think people have to go? Like, if you're not into it within how many minutes bail? Um, you might want to give it like 15 because it okay. has a fairly traditional opening. Uh, and and but also it helps if you if you like horror films, kind of the 1970s horror films like The Sentinel or Mephisto Waltz, mm-hmm. you know, these urban films where people are trying to unravel a supernatural mystery and they're they're Everybody is just too hip for the room. Things are very sort of lurid. It's definitely got to have satanic overtones. And also the leaps of logic have to be <laughs> profound. And what I think that co-writer, director, star Dasha Nekrasova has going on here. She also, I know, she, she hosts a very popular podcast about conspiracy theories, which is the heart of this film. Yes. And what she has going so well is, and it must be because she's just steeped in these conspiracy theories all the time. She thinks to herself, this is like one of those bad 70s Satanist movies where people just believe the most idiotic things. Right. So that's what she's made. Right. So the, these girls have moved into an apartment that... Dasha's character believes Jeffrey Epstein used to use for bad means. Mm-hmm. And then the whole rest of the film is two of the characters sleuthing out. They're finding the truth. We're too close to the truth. And then the third character, who also lives in the apartment, quite possibly falling under the spell or the possession of something happening in the house. Now, once that happens, I mean... Well, it's just uh, it's just an insane movie. It, 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 I think they do a really good job of staying on target in terms of that sort of Mephisto Wall Sentinel kind of a film as a, a spoofy comedy. Not a spoof entirely. It's really quite tonally uh, on par with those other films. But then what the third character does, Addie, who is possessed, perhaps that's gonna that's where people are gonna what she does with pictures of Prince Andrew. You might not want to see. Oh. Um, it just It's a nutty film. It's nutty. a nutty, nutty film. Nutty. But uh, if, you, if that sounds like your bag, and again, give it at least 15 minutes. At least think. 15 minutes. Yeah, because I always think there's a nice, got to pick out a nice uh, point of time where at least give it this much, and then if you're not into it, bail. But, Run. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I loved I mean, I liked it. Yeah. And this is uh, available in theaters and also VOD yes. right now. Mm-hmm. So it's a day and date thing. So you can do it in the comfort of your own home for That's a cozy right. Cozy winter night. It is the scary of 61st. All right, so let's get updated. Let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby for the first time this year. Brand new uh, batch of news tidbits and updates with the schlocketeer Daniel Baldwin. Happy New Year. What do you got? Hey, okay. First up, um, Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth will be available for streaming on Apple TV Plus come January 14th. So Such a great a week movie. Away. Yeah, yeah. I'm and, excited to see it. Yeah, it's one that hopefully if you can if you don't have one or go somewhere somebody who has a huge screen because oh, yeah. the cinematography Oh my god, it's gorgeous. In fact, it just won our our local group here, the Columbus Film Critics just uh, last night we announced our awards and it won cinematography. Yep. It's incredible. Yep. I bet. 
And uh, for better or worse, Disney is keeping the Ice Age franchise going. Um, the latest entry is called The Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild, and that is hitting Disney Plus on January 28th. I don't know if you're going to ask me for better or worse. <laughs> you know, the little shorts with the uh, the little guy chasing the acorn, I can deal with those in, in short oh, five, yeah. five minute increments, but I don't know about the whole movie. And then uh, arriving day and date in theaters and on VOD on January 28th is an ISD crime drama called Clean. And this, this one feels like it might be a step above similar ilk in that um, Adrian Brody doesn't just star in it, but he's also produced it, co-wrote it, and composed the score for it. Huh. And it was uh, his co-writer and director is Paul Follett, who did uh, Bullethead with him, but also directed the uh, 2009 pregnancy horror movie Grace. Oh yeah, and that recent Killdozer documentary, Tread. Wow! So, All right, little little bit of a pedigree, right? There. Right. Of course, we'll get into more of this as I go on. Um, we have another delay. The big delay of the uh, this week is Sony has pushed back the release of Morbius again. Um, that'll open on April first. Now it was supposed to come out the twenty eighth of this month, and the reason being the surges in COVID variants, sure, which of course have also. Um, caused Sundance to go virtual again this year. Yep, yep. Um, it's not movie-related, but the Grammys have been postponed to an mm. undetermined time, and they are no longer televising the Golden Globes telecast this weekend. Yeah, not not COVID-related there. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I wonder what they were going to do. They're just plowing ahead anyway. Nobody cares, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, they're just going to announce the winners online after the ceremony is over. And I don't think anyone that's been nominated or anyone that's probably going to win is going to put that on their resume. No, they they probably won't even accept it. Probably not. They're trucking along anyway. I don't even think the studio uh, marketing teams that are pushing for awards consideration think they've even been pushing the Golden Globes nominations this year. No, no. I've got a couple more dates for you. Um, February 11th, we're getting a new Jean-Pierre Genet movie another sci-fi satire called Big Bug, and that will be premiering on Netflix on Big February bug. 11th. Big Bug. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Here Before, which is a psychological thriller starring Andrea Riseborough. She generally has pretty good taste yeah, in the project. Uh, that's hitting theaters on February 11th, and then VOD a few days later on the 15th. And the last one I've got for you is a new IFC psychological horror film called A Banquet. And that's hitting theaters and VOD on February 18th. Yeah, I just saw the trailer for that today. It looks good. All right, cool enough. You can always uh, catch up on the latest news and updates and delays from the Schlocketeer at the Schlocketeer on the socials. Thank you, Daniel Baldwin. Hey, thank you. Boy, next week looks like a little busier and a couple of big ones at the top. The new Scream is out next week. Ooh, also Drive My Car. Yeah, that's another one that is almost sure to get a nomination for Best International Feature this year at the Oscars. Also, uh, the latest Hotel Transylvania. This is called Transformania. Less likely to get an Oscar nomination. Yes. Woodland. Looks, really looking forward to that one. Uh, Dawn Raid. The World We Knew. Documentary called Algren. Bell. Salt in My Soul. And Borrego. All right. Ooh, I like the way you say that. <laughs> uh, all right. So we'll check those out next week. But this week, what do you think? Let us know what you're uh, watching and uh, what you're liking or what you're not. You can always keep the conversation going on uh, the socials. You can easily find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews as well as our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club and uh, lots of other fun stuff. That's all on the main website, which is at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Keep watching those movies. Have a great week. And until next week, she is Hope Madden.
He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.